Welcome to Mummy and Daddy, the podcast where we discuss horror movies featuring children. Because parenting can be scary. And kids are definitely creepy. Hi, Carol. Hi, Josh. How do you do? (laughs) I do. That last noise was pretty much how I do today. It's just a lot right now. It's a lot. Yes. And yet so little. Two so littles. Two so littles. Woo and boo. It is nap time once again here in the Fabrizzi household. And Woo does not really nap anymore. He just lays in our bed with a stack of books. And so he's not really asleep. Mm-mm. But walking at any moment. Yeah. So I I feel as though because he got up so early today and just wandered out of his room very uncharacteristically, I feel like I am I'm gonna be on the lookout, you know. Mm, not just this morning, but also last night. Yes, he did. That was he gave me a scare. Oh my gosh, kids are creepy. Um Carol even thought he might make a shushing face and crouch towards the floor. <laughs> oh, he made a joke that he, because uh, he he got up to go potty, and I told Josh that he did that, and Josh thought he actually did. But no, it was a reference to today's movie. Sinister. An insidious movie. But if you are feeling sinister, go up and see a minister. Uh, it's Song. amazing that they didn't go see a minister in this movie. Oh, so true. You would have thought that would have been the first stop. Maybe the only person in town who trusted the family. I don't even know if they were in a town. Yeah. That's how unfleshed out this movie is. Well, I I give them credit for not going down that path, that well-trod path of seeking out religious help, because it is not that movie. But um, I'm not going to give too much more credit to this movie (laughs) but yeah uh these early blumhouse movies how early is too early well for for perspective paranormal activity came out in 2009 and that was their big hit Mm. that was their first big 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 hit and then this is in 2012 so it was really like this insidious Mm -hmm. and then there are a couple other movies, but like it's very early, and it and it, I have a lot of the same problems with it that I did with Insidious. Yes, like it's super hokey. I will say there it there were more scary parts of this movie were than there? Insidious. Well, let's let's recap the okay. Movie. Let's recap the movie. Unfortunately, there was no really bad some, uh, plot summary. Maybe it comes with a newer film. Do you think that's part of it? Is there just less... Um... Well, each one was just about the same. And I think it's just because this movie's so flat. that You can pretty much sum it up. Pretty easily. Yeah. Well, this one today comes, from us, uh, comes to us from the Internet Movie Database. A little change of pace for you guys, listeners out there familiar with the show. We're taking this from the Internet Movie Database, imdb.com. This one comes from writer-reviewer Tom Daly. Crime writer Ellison's desperate for a bestseller, which will help revive his career. He moves his family to a house where a family was brutally murdered and stumbles upon a series of gruesome videos dating back to the 1960s, which hint to the murders being committed by a supernatural force. Look, I didn't say it was totally accurate. It just all but of them not were totally e- wrong. All of them are equally bad. I think the biggest glaring thing that's wrong with this summary is that he does not find a series of gruesome videos. He sees he he finds cans of film and a projector in a box labeled home movies. That's right. These are not videos, you idiot. They're films. <laughs> well, it's like a major part of it. Fun fact. The one of the writers of this movie, mm-hmm. uh, C. Robert Cargill, he 
got the idea from this for this movie from a nightmare that he had after watching The Ring, Gore Verbinski's The Ring. Okay. So, <laughs> well, it makes total sense, right? So he, like, part of that nightmare was like the family, the family hanging out eleven, right? That video. Okay, sure. Or film, shall we say? The film. Yeah. So it's dailymotion.com. It's a film. <laughs> yeah, the internet that they're using in this in this uh, movie is uh, not quite streaming level. There should be like the clackle of keyboard just throughout this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of googling to move the plot forward. I'll Tons. say that. <laughs> Although they do stream, they do have like a, a video call with Vincent D'Onofrio a couple times. So that That's was right. pretty good quality, pretty unbelievable quality for how, yeah. Yeah, kind of a great like B-list Marlon Brando moment from Vincent D'Onofrio, like equal disdain for this production he was clearly not going to show up for mm. and uh, kind of fulfilled the same role as like some later. Uh... Yeah, I I hated it at first, but then I, I kind of liked what they did with that. But anyway. He so the one of the writers had a nightmare, and that is where the mo- this idea for the movie came from. And it does really make sense when you think about the ring, which is a video that's like haunted. Yeah, like it's also a very convenient way of stealing someone's intellectual property is being like, no, I had a nightmare that was like this but different. Right after I watched, <laughs> like it's kind of. You will find similarities that can you can be assured of, but I will tell you right now they are from my subconscious, not from your movie. Well, another thing is they said that this movie was really influenced by The Shining, which is um, a movie about a tortured writer. Another fun fact, though, as they're making the movie, Ethan Hawke had never seen The Shining. Shut the front door. Too scary. So... So Wait, the like writers he, he tried to watch it before, had right. shut it off because it's too scary. No, I think he just doesn't watch scary movies. I know. And um, oh my god, I have so many questions. I wonder if he watches the show his daughter's in Stranger Things. I wonder if like Blumhouse notoriously low budget. That's your whole bag, right? It was. So why Ethan Hawke? I guess he's not an A lister. I don't know what you pay Ethan Hawke for this movie. Well, everybody... I love Ethan Hawke, but no, it's like style of the times. Like that's what that's what everybody was doing, especially after the ring, like Naomi Watts and that. Like it's just these bigger people who are like, well, I could bring some Gravitals. I could bring Gravitals to this film, but also this could be my shining. I do think that's what people, mm. you know, like they, right. Uh, enough good actors have done yeah. excellent horror movies over the years. Your Gregory Peck's, your Jack Nicholson's, yeah, and, and so especially on. at this point in the newer horror movies i think there was like some right maybe it's just always been that way but i think that people were vincent d'onofrio brought gravy tots <laughs> that's when he was eating yeah. uh, right when they called them on that video chat that's right gravy tots of course <laughs> and connecting the dots with yarn on the bulletin board okay it's all coming oh, together oh you are detective so-and-so oh my goodness um so this movie, um, I well. So I think you were lost. Uh, you were you were totally tapping out way earlier than I was. I think that mm. we had different points of, like, of. We had different points that we really didn't like this movie. And I was I was trying. I was really trying. And I can tell you when it. The two times that I was like, this movie is not scary. Oh, yeah. I Because at one point during mm. the movie, you said, I'm so glad this movie isn't scary. <laughs> yes, because we had heard that it was so scary from somebody. That's a weird thing with horror movies, right? Is that, I mean, certainly whenever everyone has their own thresholds, but it's weird how they're often judged in terms of they're and they're almost always judged in terms of their scariness which is like the most subjective thing possible that you could rate a movie. Yes. it's not like oh it's so romantic that's the most romantic thing i've ever said no one's ever described the movie in those terms well love actually maybe um <laughs> but if 
I think that this was a this movie right from the jump missed every opportunity that I think movies like this that I think are almost always best seen in the theater. We can all agree uh, as a genre. Usually, even the cheap ones take advantage of the cheap thrills early on. That you try to get some kind of jump scare, some even like misdirected thing. That, sleepwalking child uh, somebody you know a, a strange noise trees scratching on the window maybe you see something maybe you don't and i feel like this movie missed like every opportunity early on to get a good one of those in there which then mm. kind of keeps you like on edge for the rest of the movie even when it's not scary yeah well they blow their load right at the beginning because they show you the snuff film the very first snuff film family hanging out is the beginning of the movie you're right that's the opening credits right. we thought it was a production card yeah we were like is this like <laughs> summit's new production card because the blumhouse one is like a you know like a little girl like whatever contorting backwards or something yeah so that i thought that that was if if i liked the rest of the movie i would have liked that do you know what i mean like it it was very scary i didn't like to see oh yeah very unsettling it was unsettling yeah so each of the films that he finds are 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 families dying in different ways that are pretty tortury and the the whole thing is only one person is not killed so the always a child yeah always a child and he has moved to this house because it is the house where the last family died the little girl Stephanie is missing, right? Mm. And so, he's a true crime writer, right? As Tom Daly has told us so eloquently in his synopsis, all of the films, like as he's watching them, I was not, you know, I was, I was affected by that. That wasn't not scary. I didn't like them. You knew what was going to happen. It was very creepy. But what I was not scared by, and what totally turned me off, was Bagul. Oh yeah, the, the, just the appear the first appearance of the supernatural force in it, or or the, the explanation. The the explanation was fine. Um, like when he appears, he he's like a he's a masked, kind of looks like the anonymous guy, but like with a a messed up mouth. And I was just like, ah, like I just didn't. I don't know. It was like so hokey. And then mm-hmm. at one point. After, or I think during the time where uh, Ellison, Ellison Oswalt, by the way. Terrible name. Oh so my what is God. he? He's Such named a writery after... name. Yeah, exactly. Like, what I mean by that is, like, the writers who came up with that name is just like. It's Ralph Ellison mixed, mm. mixed with, right? Like, it's got to be that kind of thing. You pick yeah. two authors. <sighs> I don't know. It's just like, all right. <laughs> Patton Oswalt playing Ralph Ellison in the biopic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so, so when Allison is digitizing the super eight footage, he's on the phone with somebody and the, the, the image of Bagul like moves in the computer. Right. And that's when I was just like, now nah, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> like, this is dumb. And then it did eventually get around to like how like the film was a portal and blah, 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 but like the, the special effects, his face, I was just like, I don't care. I don't care about, he's not scary to me. Not scary at all. And and I think, I mean, we're biased in this way, but I think a non-supernatural version would have been so much scarier that it almost, it felt like a hat on a hat a little bit to yeah. have like this long-winded explanation for like what the, the like. The evil force behind. This, yeah. Because it's a true crime writer, right? As well, it's like, well, nobody. You know, humans are scary already, right? So, yeah, because it's like this evil force behind the kid who's actually doing it. Because, like, in the end, you find out it's the kids who murdered their family, and then I guess are possessed by this thing or given power to, you know, conduct these right, Mister Boogie. Oh my goodness, and um. Po- you know poison them first to drug them first so it did it it felt way too layered too too many layers you know or something and to talk through where because, over video conference especially in this era no less like i right. think we're all ab- about 
capped out on video conferencing. That's exactly why when Vincent D'Onofrio shows up as like the expert to explain everything and he's on video, I think Josh and I are just like, what? Like, how is this possible? We don't, I can't handle another Zoom today. Because um, my theory was, as it was happening, was that it was the kid, but it was like the kid from the previous murder because it go- dates right. back to the 60s. So he has like five or so snuff films that he's watching and they're all about like a generation apart and i was like saying that to you out loud which i realized we totally gave up or were forced to give up watching these things separately which was like our plan a few That's episodes right. ago and i need which to was fun the like, time we did it yeah and but this was nice too yeah but i was well once it turned a corner i felt okay to talk through it yeah absolutely because we try to make it like the setting scary dim the lights we don't stop the movie we try not to talk like we're trying to give it the benefit you know give it the, the setting that it needs but another fun fact about the snuff films before i forget i love a fun fact about a snuff film hit me. well i think what the podcast needs more fun facts right mm-hmm. um it's a great place to start <laughs> every story needs a beginning every time ethan hawk is watching the snuff films mm-hmm. it's his actual reactions he had not seen Oh, the movies. That's cool. That's kind of cool, especially for someone who's too scared to watch the fucking Shining. Right. No, I'm sorry. This is Shining is very scary, but come on. It's also a classic film. And you're an actor. You're one of like, you're a known actor. Yeah. And it's practically, I mean, it's a very singular performance. You got to watch it. Like, you got to watch that it. seems crazy that you wouldn't have been forced to <laughs> at some point. Clockwork Orange Clockwork style. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Hmm. No, I mean, whatever. You you haven't seen what you haven't seen, and and whatever. Some people really don't like scary movies, but just The strange. Shining is, I think, different. Like, wouldn't you just be so curious? I guess that's the difference between me and people who don't like scary movies. Anyway, this movie is hokey in the same ways that we found Insidious. The other thing we didn't like about it were the children, the the dead children. As mm-hmm. soon as they showed up. And started being like a spooky, scary thing. Spooky dance troupe, yeah. <laughs> There's like this whole scene where the lone defender, Ethan Hawke, who's always walking through his very, very, very dark house. Pitch black ranch house. <laughs> Which it was a choice. The interview that I read with the writers, they were very, very into it being as dark as possible and like chose the DP based on that. And. <laughs> I, the first scene where it's really dark in the attic, I was like, finally, a truthfully dark attic space. Because a lot of times you're going to have like a, a shaft of light at night. You're mm-hmm. going to have like just, it's just bright. Like, uh, like Insidious. I remember sure. having that same issue. Um, so at first I was happy, but then he's just like wandering around his dark house many times. It's like the wandering around at night with the baseball bat and the scenes with like um spooling the projector it's like oh my god oh the entire god. time i kept thinking it's like just <laughs> throw a fucking light on this is not barry linden like you are allowed to use the electric lights that your house is imbued with yeah. you need to and there's no explanation they one time mention a power outage and then it is pitch black for the rest of the movie mm-hmm. day and night it is so strange so weird and makes it difficult to watch because it's really hard to know what you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. But not in a way, as I mentioned before in this podcast, but in, in paranormal activity, they use the opposite to great effect, which is by using really wide angles of the security footage and whatever else, your eye is forced to take in more details, which is almost like constantly looking over your shoulder mm-hmm. and which darkness, of course, could have that similar amazing effect, but they they don't use it to that effect at all there's almost no there's no creepy sounds the Mm -hmm. kids aren't scratching at the walls you don't have like a you know there's no like shadow play it's not as though bagul or whatever his name is is yeah is creeping around in the shadows or making himself sort of visible and invisible again and a great way to also short change the effects department Mm -hmm. is to use a lot of just shadow work and stuff it just seems like the entire time i felt like like I was squinting, like trying to see in right, the dark. Right. But with the it only, did not work. Where if you did that and then something <laughs> popped out at you, you'd be terrified. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if you were like trying to take in the whole kitchen paranormal activity and mm-hmm. you see a pan move or something, like, 
Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. Because we, like, we want to be scared. We're not, I don't sit here watching these movies being like, I'm not scared. I'm, I, this is stupid. You know, like, I, oh, no. I'm trying to get to that place where, like, they want you to be. Mm-hmm. And you want that fight or flight response on, like, high right, alert. Yes. Right. But it's such, it really makes you appreciate the movies that do it well because it is very hard to do. And these, these writers it was so funny to, while we were watching it i was like you know i feel like some executives just like came in and made them add stuff but took away some stuff because there were some like plot holes where i was like this has got to be like you know they had a movie in mind and it wasn't that right they absolutely cut out not that's not what happened they're like we had free reign some had said do whatever you want we were like we're gonna make the movie we want <laughs> Oh. I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Oh no!" I mean, these guys are doing fine. They're getting they wrote and directed Doctor Strange. They're going to do a sequel, and now they're adapting a Joe Hill joint jam. Wow! So I enjoyed Doctor doing... Strange. I thought they did a decent adaptation. Totally. With that well. well, that's why I feel like this movie could have been really great as a as more of a just true crime thing. Like maybe you he thinks it's supernatural, and he's always like going there because. He says something in the movie where he's like, the wife's like, uh, j- just write a fiction, just write fiction. He's like, nobody likes my fiction. It's like, well, he could have been trying to like climb that mountain or something, you know, whatever. Yeah. I'm not, I, I can't fix this movie, but those are my yeah. ideas. I do, when I hate a movie as much as I do, I try to actually see what I would have done differently. What would I have changed, you know, because... Yeah, I feel, I mean, we have a, we obviously occupy like a very specific corner on like the horror block. Mm -hmm. We don't have like the general appetite that a lot of horror fans do. Um, And I just, I can't help but thinking like how I I will, I always want to know like what people love who love a movie like this too. Um, Well, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like our opinions tend to be. If I love you, I love you. But if I hate you, there it is, love and hate. <laughs> yes. That's how I feel watching the horror movies. Mm-hmm. It's the story of left hand and right hand. Yeah. Every time, it's just like you're. It's either like one of my favorite movies I've ever seen, or kind of like Get It Out. There's very little. Right that occupies like a middle space of like I'd watch it in the way that say a Marvel movie might like there's most of those are really meh kind of yeah movies they're just spectacle but like Mm -hmm. you would think there'd be so much more in that space with horror that is like well it's scary as hell story doesn't make a ton of sense or whatever but like it's so scary the effects are so good or they did such amazing sound work that like you have to check it out so you think it's that like people focus too much on the story almost well this is a case where i think they focused on nothing where that would be my thing if i was doing a low budget horror run that yeah. the focus wouldn't be on like how can we create another jigsaw right like, like how can we explain this and explain and explain it that's i i feel i feel that definitely mm-hmm. i i feel like that's why i liked paranormal activity was like doesn't or two the first one i i don't really remember like loving being scary yeah but it's very simple i think Mm -hmm. that they're i think it gets a little too complicated i also really hate the plot point that is consult the expert it's in every screenwriting book and so many people (laughs) that it's like a don't do this no, or like no it's a thing that you do, do. It. it's a thing in the hero's journey you go to the like the elder you oh, go right, to the, the yeah. oracle right? it's it's yeah and it's a necessary thing and in the script that i'm writing right now i i don't really have it i have like a almost like a joke about it and other people that have read the stuff that i've written always want me to put that in there and i'm like i i really just don't think mm. that if something like this happened to you, you'd be either able to get answers as quickly, you know, like right. the, the part where he gets Vincent D'Onofrio on the video call, it's believable. Like the guy puts him in touch with him and it's like, 
I did some digging and then later on it's like oh I found all this other stuff because so much has been destroyed but I did do some dig you know like there's a way to do it right that's definitely necessary to explain things and get the answers but it is so rarely done in a seamless way that's not just like ah consulting the oracle Mm -hmm. here we go gonna have some clarity I don't know it's just like I'm over it I feel over the hero's journey in general but like yeah it's one of those things that makes me mad yeah and i think it's something that you could have especially in horror i think it works as like a life raft in so many ways Mm -hmm. that you know your experts are the it's the place where you kind of like refuge from the fear it's Mm -hmm. like a you know it's basically like you get to call time out for a minute on the movie because usually it's like the expert is like yeah it's a priest and the thing can't cross the threshold of the church it's a you know like a police officer they're not going to like go the thing's not going to like rip through the police station and murder everybody or Mm -hmm. something like it for some reason there's always like most of the time there's someone who's like just sort of outside of it Mm -hmm. as offering that advice or they're the ones or they're giving you obviously bad advice that you're you know like because they're trying to say conjure this this being and you're now like Mm -hmm. again it it, it is worthy of lasting hundreds of years as it has as like a device but like or not a device like a a turning point in Mm -hmm. a story but it's almost never done seamlessly you know well and weird in this one when you didn't need it in the first you didn't need the creature and therefore would not have needed the expert or the expert would have been someone at the police station would have been like their expert on like violent crimes or, or, or you know, someone mm-hmm. else who you respect in that field who's consulted with on previous books. Even then with like a pre-existing relationship would have been more interesting. Um, did we talk about this on on when we were watching it on the couch? We should call that the segment. Like what did we talk about while we were watching the movie? But how like also with like the intergenerational nature of these kids, besides the fact that Vincent D'Onofrio definitely should have been part of it there were no twists in this movie right the twist is that is that if you move to the following house aka pass it on like the ring this is like a weird mix of like a chain letter style Mm -hmm. rl stein movie and the unraveling dad of the shining yeah let's talk about the unraveling dad we we shall i do want to say one other thing that i found weird about the vincent d'onofrio bit so yeah he should have been in on it but also like the kids, why wasn't it, you you pointed out how like they're, it like skips a generation. It also seems like a missed opportunity that they were not a family. Like that they were not posing as a family unit because you have like a kid from the 60s, a kid from the 70s, a kid from the 80s, a kid from the 90s that you didn't have well, like. Because they stay, the, the, the thing is they. also didn't just move to town. Maybe they're even confused with Ethan Hawke and his family. There's some that weird thing there. That would have been cool. There. But they're tra- they're like trapped in the in the film. They get taken into the film. That's oh, that's the whole what thing. and that's what keeps them. But young. you know, I could. But again, if that didn't happen, if that didn't happen, yeah, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, I I feel like there there was something to this film, and it's the Ring. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. It's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the Ring are both good, and then this is separate thing entirely is. <laughs> It's bad. Yeah. No, no. It, it has so many similarities to other horror movies that it's like the same but different just didn't work here. Yeah. I don't think. But I would love to hear from somebody who loved this movie, who was like buckled in, on the ride, screaming, loving it. Yeah. If you like went on a date to see this movie, I want to hear from you. And you're still together. Ooh, yeah. We want to hear about all of it. Because if you're still together, you probably have kids if you're listening to the show. <laughs> So talk to us. Jeez, you're young parents. I love that. Um, <laughs> 2012. Um, do you guys want to do a Zoom call at some point? We yeah, could we'll just Zoom like, hang out. We could play code names. Uh, oh my God. Anybody, anybody. email us. Mommyxsteady. <laughs> <laughs> gmail.com. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's get into the parenting. Let's talk about it, man. Yeah. I immediately flagged this as. I have it written down. Is this an unraveling dad movie? Because it just feels like it wanted to be, which I also was not, I didn't want as a dad. I didn't really want to watch another Mm -hmm. movie. That's about like, yeah, he slowly becomes more and more of an alcoholic, more obsessed with his work, more yeah, like like, twist it, just do something different. mm -hmm. It's almost as though they wanted to, but they felt, contractually obligated 
to the narrative of the unraveling dad where like he's mm. hitting the whiskey bottle is he making this up like whatever where like he maybe doesn't care about his kids but like right from the gate he's even like telling his young son to turn down his headphone volume and giving i thought like very fine boundaries about paint on your bedroom walls but nowhere else there's some like fine little like parenting glimmers I thought in the beginning to then have him kind of pointlessly become mm-hmm. obsessed with his work and like a chase for fame on top right. of it. Maybe they thought the twist was like him coming to his senses and moving at the end. They were like, no, he he's not an unraveling dad. He has some more sense in him. Mm. Maybe that was his fatal flaw. Just so weird. It was just not. It wasn't interesting. You know? wasn't sure yeah so this gets to what i wanted to talk about with the parenting a little bit like what you were saying he he's he is parenting this movie i did not pick up on that there was that thing about i mean there he he interacts with his children first of all i couldn't tell if whose kids they were because both the the wife who i will call the device wife knew person on grandmas be crazy bad dads and now we've got the device wife she literally does nothing but like laundry groceries yell at her kids yell at her talk husband. to her husband yeah and it's a shame because oh and Ju- get lied to by her deceived by her husband mm-hmm. right like that's uh, deceived and then bad communication mm-hmm. like that's supposed to substitute for mm-hmm. for her own um for her own feeling and agency yeah. yeah exactly and yeah like making ultimatums and you know, wife stuff, um, which is a shame because Juliet Rylance from The Nick. The fucking Nick. She was so, so good. good in The Nick. And if you have not watched The Nick, the show, the Cinemax series, The Nick, yeah. the Steven Soderbergh joint. It really did. Essential viewing. It felt like a waste. So you had the device wife, but they kept saying like, your son. Uh, I was like, are these his kids? Are they her kids from a different marriage? Are they, whose kids are these? None of them looked even remotely alike, which doesn't have to be but like so starkly not looking alike you know yeah <laughs> like i i was like are they adopted what's happening here like <laughs> no and then they are also like devicey kids like they do nothing they they actually are so underutilized that when it turns out that the girl fr- you know that the little the younger girl be, yeah <laughs> yeah she has she had like one scene with the the previous dead ghost girl stephanie we know more about stephanie that that scene was like a total blip and and i thought like it would would have been the boy who was you know like i don't know if they were trying to be like you thought it was the boy who was going to kill everybody but it's the little girl who's painting like it was just so girls can murder whole families too get your heads (laughs) out of your asses i think there are more ghost children that were girls so mm-hmm. yeah big <laughs> um anyway so it was they were just so underutilized and right the son sleepwalks or she sleepwalk daughter sleepwalks son has night terrors no he, just the son he just has long hair this he does but no because she she wanders at night i don't know if she's sleepwalking or just really tired and can't oh, find the bathroom yeah, there's that just, scene again two completely unused things other than yeah. like sun in a box which was like that was probably the only i don't know if i was scared i think that was it i didn't i was I not was... scared at that moment i was like what gross thing is going to come out of here and then it yeah. was just like a young kid yeah <laughs> it was like oh, okay yeah um bookmark night terrors we want to come back to that but yeah i just thought there was so little thought given to any of the characters besides the dad that it was just so flat you were, I was never concerned. I was never concerned about the wife or the kids, really. Yeah, it's weird. They were never Yeah, you're not given a reason mm-hmm. to. You know that the that like the little girl is basically just there to have her like their here moment, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was it when she like reveals one of the we were as we were watching, I was said I actively said, I was like, Oh no, I can't believe that like there I You're like when it when when is the the family that got hanged uh gonna show up in her pictures and it just literally like panned the wall and they were there. I was like, Okay. <laughs> well, let's talk about the painting on the wall. Okay. Cause okay. 
the child in me is like, oh man, if my parents had just said, you can paint on your walls, just nowhere else. That would have been so fun. And like, so much fun. Yeah. So fun. So freeing. So I don't think, like, I think I would have, you know, I don't think I just would have like painted the whole wall in one day. I would have like taken my time and made it a mural and like what she does. Right. Like, absolutely. And then they, she paints in the hallway and it's a picture of the dead girl, Stephanie on the tire swing, but they get so irate at her for breaking that boundary, even though they've just moved. They're so mad at their kids for having any sort of emotional response to their life being completely turned around, turned upside down. And yeah, in a completely predictable way, as we can all now attest to, to a person, any parent out Mm -hmm. there, like, as we've talked about, I think every pandemic episode of the show, like the natural emotions of change that come with like, yeah, a big shift in your life. So like, yes, being, and I can't imagine being in an age where like, you're cognizant of of moving, moving, changing schools, leaving friends behind. And you we know find, you've done this before. And we find out at the end that they didn't just move from a different house. They moved from like a mansion oh, to yeah, this like crappy house. <laughs> yeah. So that was such a, so those scenes were so painful to watch because they just are yelling at their kids for like any, any sort of reaction. And that scene where she paints on the wall in the hallway, it was like, it's like the perfect thing. It's like kid paints in the hallway. Yeah, well, you didn't like control the materials and you set a boundary that was broken, right? So it's like, what the fuck did you expect? Um, so you mean because she had access to like paints and stuff in her yeah, room at it's all like, times? Of course. Yeah. So like she breaks a very reasonable boundary, right? Like, for sure. <laughs> and so mom's like, yeah, like Allison Oswald, your child just did something terrible come over here and he's like runs from his projector office <laughs> csi lab in the <laughs> west wing of the ranch house and uh yeah his custom built um bulletin board with a bench that was inexplicable um that was the weirdest part of the movie you're never <laughs> unloading that piece of furniture never that's gonna be it uh, that's the kind of thing you'd see at a flea market like why did you need a bench in front of this bulletin board you try to figure out what it is yeah. come a weird explanation <laughs> for it and you'd go back like months weeks in a row and just see it there, there every single time yeah uh, this sounds like a good horror movie that is um just so watching that price slowly drop yeah oh boy no return on that investment so he runs in and she's like look at what your child did and he's like uh, who's that in your drawing? And she's like, it's Stephanie, the girl who used to live here, who her whole family died. And the mom's like, what? And that's when she figures out that they moved into this house, which is like, how do you even get from point A to point B? Can't even explain how you would move to a house. Where like one person knew that the family had died there and the other didn't. Okay. They, they kind of like, make you believe it as they're moving in but i was just like whatever another just like we're parents who don't communicate cool Mm -hmm. well and also Um, like what kind of like fucked up person thinks they're getting away with it's a it's such a compulsive mm -hmm. lie to tell to think that you're going to get away with that level of deceit right to like to your spouse when she says like do we move in two houses down from murder house again and you're like no. We moved in into the, the murder, murder house. house. But she doesn't know that. All right. And Any, he yeah, never makes so, any it's not like he's then thwarted in his attempts to uh, get like an easy thing to do in a parenting movie, right? Would be like you're trying to talk it through, but maybe you never get a moment to yourselves. Right, that, Wouldn't that be great to say right. like, Oh, I didn't or you like maybe you didn't realize that she hated that experience or like i sent you all the info yeah exactly get it no mom's too busy with her job or her own life oh wait she doesn't have one in this movie yeah it's fine she's there to yell but it was such a perfect (laughs) to non-supportively yell at all times right so it just like turned i i'm not blaming this woman for how she reacts to her horrible husband yeah i was actually happy at least that she did deduce that from what little Mm -hmm. information she was given so quickly that was like the one thing i was like good for you yeah (laughs) it's crazy that she doesn't follow through on her ultimatum in the beginning Mm -hmm. which just seems like a gun on stage it's like (laughs) 
Chekhov's I'll take my kids I'll to take our kids away house. to my sister's such a specific plan right like yeah 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 yeah. you guys oh my god this movie okay let's talk about the next parenting situation in this movie oh you want to talk about creepy crawly critters there's a lot of creepy crawly critters in this movie anybody but who lives in a house knows somehow, about it. somehow not enough oh agreed <laughs> And not any that connect to anything. It's not well, as though no. There's like a snake in like the Bagul, you know, cave drawings in the in the end. It's really loose and really not believable. Just, I don't. I also anybody tell me if there are scorpions in Pennsylvania. I mean, famously I, desert I, creatures. Am I wrong? Yeah. Nobody was faced by the appearance of a large scorpion, right? Because by the way, also like scorpions in the wild are not all like those like crabs they mm-hmm. often are small like they're yeah. like big spiders but like not as much a anyway yeah gross still terrifying to find in your attic but it like no one then starts flipping over their shoes or any other stuff you should do if you <laughs> right. see a scorpion in your attic maybe i'll call an exterminator anyway it <laughs> is just crazy to me because i feel like we, we live in a in a hundred year old house every time there's no basement it's built on Thank God for that. It was built over a crawl space, which has God knows how many dead skunks in it. Yeah. And there's skunks in the crawl space beneath us. There are bats living in the, you know, half attic-y crawl space on top. Yeah. But not... Top crawlers. Yeah. And then, but that's about it. And ants who will come in at the first signal of water in the summertime we'll find a way through floorboards through whatever Mm -hmm. we've had termites poke through the ceiling we've had the other day we had a black widow spider just in the kitchen kitchen dangling from the stove and Uh, and it was it was from like a tray that i had outside but that just means it was on the tray that's right (laughs) oh yeah we we see them they'll be on garbage cans underneath like the kids water table we always have to like Mm got to make sure you turn it over and uh, There's and, lots of pincher bugs this season, mm-hmm. and and just like that stuff is everywhere. But it is a constant battle against those things. It is such a strange thing not to talk about, especially when you're talking about something that's actually dangerous with your family. Um, I guess my point is like minus points for again not communicating something. Mm. But I really want to talk about extermination <laughs> and not professional. I'm talking about that one-on-one combat. Oh, by the way, he never went after that snake. So strange. There was you, also a snake in the attic. You would tear apart the house till you found the snake. Oh, and, my God. And it was gone or deceased. We've had lizards in our house because they'll, they'll just crawl in and the cats will, rip you know, them. rip their tails off. And that alone, I remember at some point a few years ago, there was a lizard in the house and I called you and you came home from work to, mm-hmm. to get it out of the house. I mean, it is scary. It is, and that's nasty business. It's na- it's gross, and I the Portlandia I, I sketch put a that. bird on it when the bird finally flies in the store. Tells you everything you need to really know about outside pests coming in. Mm. But all that all that stuff is very. It tends to be very one to one, even with ants that come by the thousands. You just kind of you tamp them down and hope they don't come back. It's rarely like a whole house system we've never like bombed the house or anything like that Mm -hmm. we've dealt with fleas we can go into any of these whatever pests you want to talk about we've probably had them no (laughs) mice thank god but we are in this movie scorpion is found scorpion is killed good response the other day a hornet made its way as about 100 degrees in los angeles last weekend all weekend so we had our inflatable cheeseburger pool out in the lawn Hornets wasps. Speaking of inflatable, you're conflating something. It wasn't the pool. It was the water table. This was in the water tables before we bust out of the pools a weekday. Inflating, conflating. Ay, ay, ay. Oh boy. Extraction, Don't... extermination. <laughs> Sorry, extraction is really dumb movie we started watching. It's on Netflix. It's very slow. <laughs> Do not start it at like 10 o'clock at night on a weekend. Anyways. If sorry. it gets good, let us know. Um, so. A, uh, so again, I saw the waspy hornety uh-huh. thing. Thankfully, not a murder hornet. Anybody oh, not yeah. hear Shout about those? We will post a thing so everybody knows about the murder hornets. <sighs> um, but it wasn't, I think, one of those. It was just a <laughs> waspy, scary looking flying creature. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell Josh to come get this this thing and kill it. 
Yep. So I did. I brought out, brought out our like, we have one of those electric tennis racket zapper things as well as a traditional fly swatter. I brought both thinking I might need to kind of do some quick work there and get it out of there. Uh, the goal is to squash it, but also remove it because you do not want to step on the stinger Mm-mm. of a hornet, wasp, bee, or scorpion. You need to remove <laughs> the remains and get rid of them. The kids are watching though. Wu is learning about death actively. Uh, as I'm doing this and this is, we're living in a post Lion King world. Yeah, that's right. And so I get this Hornet onto the zapper. It goes zap and it falls down. We put it under a glass. They can kind of see it. And we're just saying like, I zapped it with the thing. You can look at it still. It's, you know, and, and, but then it's clearly still alive. So I t- maneuver the glass off the table and knock the Hornet onto the zapper. At which point it basically gets stuck in a loop and just is getting zapped and zapped and zapped and zapped and zapped and zapped. And zapped. It, it was, was horrifying. Wet. It was like. I felt bad for that hornet. I didn't because I wanted the thing dead. Those things are like viruses to me. It's like a virus versus a bacteria. It's, a, it's just not it's a virus. virus. It, is, it is not. They are simply pests. They're they simply no, pests. They are. I just. More pesky than all the rest. I would have preferred a just a, a stomping out instead of a prolonged. I want to use I don't the zapper. It's tough to you want to use the tools you have. Yeah, well, you made you made an impression. I did because I think the next night, or maybe it was that night, I'm getting Wu in his jammies, and he just says to me, "I don't want to die," in that tone, and we start talking about death. He asked me about death and dying, um, and my. I ultimately leaned on the circle of life to some degree and just talked about how everything dies, but humans live a really long time and we return to the earth when we die. That's all we know. Yeah. You went from a physical body perspective and I think that's good Mm -hmm. though. You can tell he's still thinking about it. He said at dinner, like one of the following nights was like, do we know anyone who died? Right. And we were like, huh? Such a broad question. Mm-hmm. We just gave him a list. <laughs> yeah, we started naming every every dead person we could think of. <laughs> so that's been continuing for about six days now. <laughs> Whenever I can get a word in edgewise. <laughs> so. Yeah, we just, you know, these things come up so fast and furious that it's hard to know exactly what to say. But I think you did a good job. And I'm also glad that his very first question was to you and not me because i have ever since i was his age like have had like paralyzing fear about thinking about that and i remember you know when i was a kid and thinking about the void as i capital v yeah like just thinking about like the nothing Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i'm glad that it was like a positive i don't think i could have had a poker face for that you know and I think now, whenever that does happen, whenever that conversation happens between he and I, he'll at least have like a basis and not, right. you know. I was enabled by his tone. He was very, it was like he asked any question about anything. Right. And so I was very fortunate that it wasn't from an emotional, a purely emotional, visceral place mm-hmm. with him. Um, and I was glad to have the opportunity to talk about it. And also that I, it was kind of nice to not be able to think about it. I've thought about this moment for a long time and so to just be right like kind of thrust into it and feeling like okay that went okay i would have done stuff differently probably right. well it's not just but it, you yeah, know i'm it's not, fine with it it's not one conversation um our friend of the pod maggie she has an older child like he's uh 12 11 and you know she was talking about like the sex talk to some of like the younger moms whose art who our, our kids are so far from that in a way but in another way her point was it's an ongoing conversation it's not just one time you sit de- them down and talk about it it's like an evolving thing that you they have questions you have to talk you know it's not mm-hmm. like you shouldn't dread it and to the earlier you start those conversations the easier it is for them and you so yeah and- it was kind of nice to like have that seal broken though of like okay we're in this now yes we're talking about it because he yeah he has a lot of questions and he's figuring stuff out 
He's really curious. And because of the pandemic and how our world is so small right now, it's like he has such focus. Whereas like if that had ha- if that Hornet thing had happened on a weekend, any other time, I don't know if it would have been like something you dwell on. You know, I think that's the true. The pace is so much slower right now. Yeah. Boo is having a similar obsession, but it's about it's about private parts, as you might call them. <laughs> he asked if our cat, Neptune, girl cat, has a vagina the other day. And I said, yes, she does. And then he kept saying, she has a vagina. She has a vagina. She has a vagina. And then said, no, she doesn't have a vagina. It's just fur. <laughs> <laughs> And then he also and then calls he his said, testicles and tend- that's he followed it right up and said, "She doesn't have tentacles, though." <laughs> <laughs> which is what, of course, he calls testicles, oh. which has got to be so confusing because you know that an octopus has tentacles. That's why you're saying the word, right? It's really, it's not a they dear dear situation. They don't do the same thing. No, I don't think eight tentacles. <laughs> uh. Covered on the underside with tiny sucker charms. Oh, shout out, pout pout fish. Mm. And all the books you memorize as a parent. That's right. Um, These will be with us for the rest of our days. One other thing parenting-wise that I want to talk about here is that the boy has night Shall remain nameless. (laughs) I don't know. He was actually, like, not terrible for how little credit he was given in almost every aspect of this film. Um, But he has night terrors and he has one at night and then the morning after the device wife is like he's too old to be having night terrors trevor oh trevor wrote it down trevor's too old to have night terrors all right the whole way she her saying it the way she said it when she said it everything about it was messed up and terrible parenting (laughs) oh my gosh like so you cannot control night terrors at all. They so it's like getting mad at a kid for wetting the bed when they're young. You know, it's like, or anytime. You like, these are not things you can control, right? And oftentimes I don't think things that go away, right? We have adult friends with night terrors. So prompted me to do a little research. Um, yes, we have two adult girlfriends who are prone to night terrors. I've witnessed a few. My friend Ashley. It's horrifying. Um, they don't remember anything about it. They don't wake up. It's actually, and the, and the reason is because they occur during N3 sleep, the deepest stage of non-rapid eye movement sleep, um, the same time that sleepwalking happens. But night terrors are different because you don't wake up and you don't remember the next day what happened. Whereas like with sleepwalking, I mean, I used to sleepwalk. I remember waking up and I remember... Like, I don't remember getting to the place, but I, I you do wake up. And it's scary when you wake up. Right. So when I tear, it's screaming, very, very loud screaming. And sometimes you, like, jump out of bed or, like, also move. They do usually, you would grow out of them um, by the time you're a teenager. Usually. But not always. Women are more prone to night terrors than men. Like, 40% more cases wow i can't i can't find that statistic but anyway it's more common in women and the only times you should really be worried about it is if they start in adulthood right like that makes sense because it's probably like a ptsd thing or something else and it's all it's all linked to stress and i guess like could be depression or anxiety or medications that you're taking um I'm also seeing here that can be triggered by restless leg syndrome, which is horrifying because I do get that sometimes. Mm. <laughs> Don't want to have night terrors. Um, no. Do you have night terrors? Do I, do your children have night terrors? Tell us. We'd love to know. We'd love to know your stories. Um, also, if they are scary, if your child had night terrors and another child was like maybe sleepwalks or gets out of bed, the last thing you would do when the power goes out is grab your largest kitchen knife and proceed through the pitch darkness, <laughs> <laughs> hoping to find something. Just don't grab a knife and walk through your dark house. You heard you heard it here first. Don't do it. Don't say I didn't warn you. That goes for the kids doubly for you kids. <laughs> You've been warned. Our audience of children is growing every day, according to SoundCloud. That's right. Yeah. 
children, I think, yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time to rate this movie. Sounds good to me. So, oh boy, um, Carol, mm. if you if you had to rate this movie, I do. You do certainly. Mm. Okay, how many unpacked shelved copies of Kentucky Blood would you give this movie out of twelve? I would give this movie three out of twelve. Three out of twelve copies. How about you? The are they Ellison signed or Oswald. unsigned? They're currently unsigned. Oh, no. They are certainly pre-signed, not personalized. Ah. Saves that. No, he's not signing these. He doesn't want unpersonalized copies to fall onto the third-party mm. seller market. Three, three of them still. <laughs> okay, still three. How about you? Uh, two, I, I guess it did. It was a movie, and I do like Ethan Hawke. I love Ethan Hawke. If it weren't him, I don't think I would have given. Uh, I I don't think I would have been as lenient. It's so weird. There were times when he was like convincing his wife to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, convince her, Ethan. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, Ethan Hawke, I'll do it. I'll yeah, stay in this whatever house. Whatever you need. <laughs> I fucking love him. Wonderful. He's great. He is. He usually chooses pretty good roles that aren't, that don't always get a lot of critical acclaim. Like That's sometimes, very true. Sometimes it does, like obviously before sunrise, sunset, blah, blah, blah. But otherwise, he's in a ton of stuff that's very good, but not like, he's not going to make your top 10 actor list probably. Yeah, and that is a shame. Mm-hmm. He's good. I'm going to rewatch Gattaca. <laughs> Um. Okay, the kids in this movie. Mm. Now, I'm gonna mainly talk here. Uh, I I would say your rating should mainly be based on the daughter and son of the like the living ones, because if you enter in the deceased children, the deceased murdering children. You know that's gonna drag it straight to the bottom of that that swimming pool. Drag that that score uh-huh. way down. I mean, what do we what do we throw into the swimming pool? Scores. Mm. So, just the two living children, please. How many? How many? How many cans of Super Eight film do you give this? The Ooh. kids out of five. Now, are these? blank cans of super eight film like are they ready for my use or are there already films upon them they're already films waiting to be spooled and how many of them out of five zero i give them none no i don't want them yeah there's an app for that you can get a super eight thing i don't really care i don't want to watch someone else's old home movies or find snuff films by accident probably a high percentage of all super Eight. what about the kids you give the kids zero yeah, I don't care about them. You're not going to remember them ever. That's true. They didn't do anything of note. They were given nothing to work with. Yeah. They were not scary. They were not acting. Yeah, I agree. Oh, look at this baby. She don't know what's going on. Yeah, I guess I would give them... I'd I'd give them a quarter of a, of a roll of film in that can. Just because the boy... Was trying his darndest. Point two five. You would learn how to splice film by Googling it, just like Ethan Hawke himself. I, I went to film school, That's baby. Right, you already know this. I went to Emerson, which freshman year we got our hands on that sweet, sweet Super Eight film. Yeah. And don't you know what? What's his name? Elliot uh, Oswald. <laughs> no, Derrickson. Oh, the Scott Derrickson, one of the writers. F. Scott Derrickson. He went to film school too. And he did, he didn't. loved Super 8 film. So that's why he wanted to do this. That's I so thought cool. th- that was the best part of the movie were those scary films. Yeah, they were, they did a good job with those. Yeah. They, yeah. They so. were unnerving. I didn't like looking at them. No. Oh, wait. And how could I forget? I have one more segment I'd like to do. Oh. I want a sequel pitch. We had never seen this movie. And we've already talked about how we would remake it. But just given what you've got. I want to bring back what the is segment. Sinister Two. What is Sinister Two? Unless you the already the movie know. that killed the franchise, as they say. Well, as far as we know, 
No, it it did. Okay. It did really badly, and it because all of all of those movies, like they did, The Purge, they did. You know, obviously Paranormal right. Activity. They've done like all these giant Oculus, like they've and like all. five of each of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Paranormal Activity Seven is coming out whenever movies happen again. Um. <laughs> so, what would the sequel pitch be? Ah. Uh, can't it just be like a reboot? I want to make it so that the kids are different, but okay. Um, so I think my sequel pitch would be that maybe the kids break free of the film somehow. Like they break if there's some, you know, in whatever ancient text of like how you dispel the bagul that those kids like get out or something and then they have to kill it or something. Like if it's going to be mm-hmm. like, I'd rather I'd, I'd want to take the villains from the last movie, make them the heroes and then like, like have that. this like wandering band of like really out of place from each decade kid. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. Well, I'm a fun person. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> What's your sequel pitch? Uh, well, I can't afford Ethan Hawke anymore. That's obvious. So I guess the sequel would be that uh, wife number one makes good on her promise and finally brings the kids to her sister's house. Uh, oh, wait, are they all dead at the end of this movie? Do we even know? Oh, they're all dead. Yeah. Oh, never Be- mind. Beheaded. By the way, you can't afford Ethan Hawke because now this production company is huge and does things like sharp objects and like oh, giant, giant things. So you get whoever you want, baby. Um, oh I don't know I don't what that know. accent I, is that I keep I doing. I like it though. Um, okay. Yeah, that's since that's not really happening, it would have to be. Okay, well, I'll give you this. You mm-hmm. don't see her chop off the mom. The device wife and the little boy's head. So we have you, to assume they're successful in their mission. Exactly. So you assume, but you know what happens when we assume. Right. And You're the, often wrong. Very good. I'll remember that. It's hard to forget. Uh, the the little girl's probably the one who survives then. She maybe goes to live with the sister. So she's bringing that. The little girl survives because she's the one who killed everybody. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. But she then goes in the film strip. Yeah. So the whole family's gone. Right. Okay. I wasn't paying attention. So you're either like clean slated. Slate. It's a, it's the next house or it's that mansion, whatever. Right. So yeah, it's got to be that mansion. Who, who's moving into that mansion? Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> the gravy tots. And the gravy tots. And he has doesn't have kids though. He just has a harem. Okay. Of like, uh, of like teacher's assistants <laughs> and stuff from the college. Oh, right. Because he, he keeps... Is they keep bringing him his gravy tots? Yeah, that's right. In the, constantly in, in the video call. Remember, like both times, somebody like gives oh, him something. Oh, he's right. He's eating a sandwich or something. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they'll go. Okay. So he moves in, but he knows all about Bagul. That's right. And so maybe it. Yeah, maybe it is just more of like a. Maybe it's more of a monster hunter movie, mm. but it is about him trying to unleash Bagul. Or maybe he opens it up and is trying to make it like a writer's retreat or something for for students. Mm. And that's how he's trying to draw them out because mm. he wants to study them and ultimately kill them. I don't know. I didn't really think about it, obviously. I like but this. I gave I like it some this, thought. I like the sequel pitch being resurrected. Mm. Much like Vincent D'Onofrio's children, gang of children. Well. Oh, my goodness. We did it. We did it. Nap time is over. We are done our episode. You have stayed with us till the bitter end. And congratulations to you on that. I think I should also tell you at this time that Mummy and Diddy has a website. So the website is up. Mummyxdiddy.com. Check it out. All of our episodes, all of our show notes. There'll probably be other fun stuff up there eventually, depending on how long this pandemic lasts and how much free time I have to devote to it. Um, Free time is a very, very generous word. Um, So don't be a creep. 
Get in touch. Email mummyxdeddy at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at mummyxdeddy. You can find us on Instagram at mummyxdeddypod. You may leave us a voicemail, 818-839-1991. If you like what you hear, and we hope that you did, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please tell a friend. That's the very best thing you can do. Our theme music is by Kyle Andrews. Our logo was designed by the lovely Dara Weinberg. Maggie Spaulding is a cup of coffee made just the way you like it. There's nothing more beautiful than the beginning of a new day. You never know how it's going to turn out. That's what gives hope to the future. Not knowing. Hope for the future. (laughs) Sinister knows what your future holds.